0: Okay, I'm going to start over. Well, we did it. We succumbed. We gave in. We took our five and seven year old to Disneyland over spring break. We went with six of our friends and 50,000 strangers. Our friends summed it up well. Disneyland is a trip. It is not a vacation And it is almost impossible to visit Disney. You're forced to do Disney. It's a little jarring and unnerving. If you haven't been there or been there in a while, it's been 20 years. I think California Adventure was a parking lot the last time I was there. So we may as well have been first timers. And immediately as you get off the bus and you look around just in awe, trying to figure out maybe which line to go in, swarms of people are already passing you by as if they've been there before. And you start to notice, what you immediately start to notice is the matching t-shirts that families and groups are wearing. And you look around, you're like, I did not get the memo. I I did purchase a ticket, but I wonder if they'll actually let me into the park. I have no matching t-shirt. And so as we're fumbling around in our bags for our paper tickets that we printed off our computer, and everyone's looking at us, walking by with their phone being scanned, and after a few uh, ticket hiccups they did let us in um, not a few sneers for holding up the bag check line which we weren't quite prepared for but eventually we did make it into the park and uh, here's what's here's what happens without a tight strategic plan at Disneyland you start to wander around and before you know what's happening you're online for the (laughs) teacups I'm not even joking this is exactly what happened And so that's the first ride of our Disney experience, the teacups. Can you believe it? And it was kind of emblematic, I suppose, of our entire first day. And we were not going to let that happen again, and so we devised a plan immediately. Looking up, there's a giant mountain right there, and we said, we are going to do Matterhorn. And so we go to the line, thinking this is a plan in place, and there's two lines at this ride, one of the lines says something on the top we've never seen before. It says fast pass and it seems relatively short and people are walking up with their phones and scanning something and, and then walking straight onto the ride. And there's another line that says stand by and it makes me nervous like I'm at the airport again. And that line is rather long and there's no matching t-shirts in that line while the other line is filled with this secret culture that is evident. There is this secret society of Disney doers, and we were not a part of it. We did not quite fit in, and we were just wondering um, where our place was. So we immediately, sheepishly, went to the nearest park worker, excuse me, cast member, because there are just layers throughout this entire park, and we asked, uh, what is this Fast Pass?" thing is, oh, that's easy. Uh, I'll show you. Pull up the app on your phone. There's an app. So you you get it, right? You get it. It's not just Disney, though, is it? It's everywhere in life. Everywhere we go, there's seemingly these secret societies and layers, and then ultimately divisions of whether we fit or don't fit. Uh, We get those looks sometimes where we're not the ones in the matching t-shirts. We don't have the app. We don't yet know the lingo. And uh, we wonder if we'll even ever have a place to belong. You know, I wonder if that's even possible for some here today. We hope, we hope not. I hope not. But you might walk in feeling like I don't fit here. And if your first inclination is to run, uh, we've all been there in some ways and as much as we work as a church to be welcoming and our doors are open and we are so glad you are here we know that no church is perfect and there is often a a culture involved with groups that have come together and spent time together and have history and tradition and sometimes that feels like walls and division and sometimes it makes us feel like do we even belong and so we know all over in our life, and in our world, this is our reality. By the way, um, no secret app at this church, no matching t-shirts, no plaques on pews, and if you do come back next week, you won't be new, and we hope you will sense that you fit right in. But sometimes it's more subtle, isn't it, and even more significant, like at work or school, and perhaps if it's a new job or a new school, or even in our neighborhood or a new neighborhood or new place that we live, uh, we immediately feel like, well, uh, i signed the contract right i got the job or i i am on the roll call the roll sheet of the school or i bought the house i belong i'm here and and then we start to realize there's this second layer or subculture of belonging that we haven't yet cracked there's its own lingo there's a history there's story that's involved and sometimes we're not even allowed to break those barriers Doesn't matter what the contract says or the paper says or the deed, Uh, we recognize the walls are so large that we may never be able to climb them or simply not invited to the inside, to that secret society that seems to exist. We just won't belong. It seems to be what we do. We don't even have to think about it or really try that hard. We build walls, we divide. With I think a deep seated longing seated longing to belong, we naturally uh, segregate, divide, build walls, to be on the inside, divide between insiders and outsiders, and if we don 't happen to be the ones in the power in power or with control to determine or define where those lines are, then we scramble and we strive to try to find out what do I need to do what do I need to look like what do I need to learn what do I need to uncode or decipher in order to be on that inside to be uh, in a place where I belong or do I simply just run we do that we've always done that man has always built walls that will not change will we fit will we belong what does it take now at disney it is fairly simple you download the app you, you pay a little bit more money. Big surprise. may as well have just turned out the pockets and opened the bag. There's giant vacuums as you walk into the park, and it just sucks both the money and the life right out of you. No, it is the happiest place <laughs> on earth. He, hear me. I, I'm glad most of our kids are out of the room. For the rest of you, I apologize partly you buy a little bit more ticket to get that fast pass, that max pass, and then what you do is you find the people with the matching t-shirts and you humbly come almost bowing to them, oh wise ones, would you tell us uh, the secrets? decipher for us the codes and most are willing to do so in fact um, our ignorance and exclusion from the secret society of disney doers was so palpable that a family sitting next to us at lunch the first day must have heard us just in our natural conversation we didn't think we were revealing ignorance at all but apparently we were because they came over to our table and said hi we're on day five can we help (laughs) And so we said, of, of course you can help. They told us how to upgrade our tickets so that we could get magic mornings. It's magical to get up an extra hour starting at 5.30 to get into the park. It's just magical. And what you want to do, they said with excitement and still smiles on their faces, you want to you dress your kids in the clothes they're going to wear the next day when you put them to bed the night before. As I looked over to the table and their kids were passed out on the table next to their uneaten lunch, I wondered if they also slept in their shoes. But it is so worth it to be up at 5.30 in the morning to get the first crack at the magic of Disneyland, an extra hour to spend your money. Can I be done with Disney? I don't know if it's going to just continue to pervade this sermon and the rest of my life. But what about... What about these other areas of our life where it's not so easy to belong? There's not simply an app or a code to follow or a matching t-shirt to get or a little bit more money to pay and you're all in. There's uh, these barriers and layers that we uh, struggle to even figure out behavior, lingo, And again, we may never, even if we can decipher those codes and the tradition and the history, we may never fit. We may never belong. This is why the gospel of grace is so incredible and so powerful. If you're sitting there wondering, is this, is it Easter? Is this an Easter sermon? Where are you going? Where are you going, pastor? Pastor. The gospel of grace is so incredible and so powerful. Jesus came to break down walls, not to build them. There's enough walls in our world. There always have been. Men have always built them and always will. This is not meant to be a political statement. Enough division. Enough exclusion. Enough separation. The gospel according to the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, get to Ephesians 2. Some of you have already closed them, put them back on the rack, wondering, no, we are going to open God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2. If you, It's that black book there, if you want to use the one in the pew, it's on page 976, or you can probably get there on an app, or just say, hey Google, get me to Ephesians chapter 2, and you will be right there. If you know me at all, you know I like to preach Jesus from every page of Scripture. You say we're turning to Ephesians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul years, decades after Jesus was crucified and rose again. So we're not going right to that moment. We're going to a man who proclaims the gospel, proclaims what has been done right along these themes, this powerful theme of walls being broken down, of division and separation and segregation being broken, of full belonging and acceptance and adoption into God's family for all peoples. That's what Paul is proclaiming. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Therefore remember, That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that simply means those who are not Jewish by heritage, which is probably most of us in the room, so we receive this. You who at one time were Gentiles, you're called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, hear this, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise. You didn't quite fit. You didn't quite belong. You didn't quite get the memo. And you had no hope. And you were without God in the world. But now, here's the gospel. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances "...that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace, and He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. We all have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, with God's people, and even members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the Gospel. This is what we remember and proclaim on Easter. It's why I'm preaching from this passage and not another this morning. But let me unpack it briefly. We have been studying this letter for a number of months now as a church. And I invite you, and I'll continue to invite you to read this letter It's not that long. You can read it, let's say, once a week and sit in one setting of maybe 15 minutes. I invite you to catch up with us if you want to study the words of life, grace, hope, riches, and power that are Paul's words to this church. The Apostle Paul wrote this to a a group of people that he knew and loved well. It was a, a church located in Ephesus. Ancient Greece, he had spent about three years with these people. And now he's writing a letter. This is many years later. He himself finds himself in prison for continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus. And he writes this letter back to this church, these people he dearly loves. And he's writing to them, reminding them of who they were and now who they are in Christ. Because it's so easy to forget. When the world wants to continue to say you don't fit, You don't measure up. You don't belong. You are not worthy. And for the Gentiles, that was their reality daily. Both the Jews who said, "You don't have a heritage here. You don't fully belong. You're not fully one of us. You need to you need to change. You need to become Jews first in order to receive Jesus, the Jewish Messiah." And then the reality was also the Romans say, "You don't have no place amongst us. You don't fit any longer." You've abandoned our true king, Caesar, and now are proclaiming this other king. You have no place. And so it was easy for them to become discouraged and forget, and Paul is encouraging them and reminding them of who they are in Christ because of who God is and what He has done. He's reminding them of the gospel. But he takes them there. He says, yes, it's true. You were excluded. You were outsiders. You were strangers. All true. All true. But because of what God has done through Jesus, you have been brought in. You have been adopted in. You've been invited in. The walls have been broken down. Here's the t-shirt and the fast pass. You're in. Paul was proclaiming the hope that the gospel brings. The hope and the message of Jesus that every wall has been broken down because Jesus allowed His body to be broken for us that the division, the dividing walls have been broken and put to death because Jesus was put to death for us. And the walls would never be rebuilt because Jesus rose from the dead, triumphed over the grave and put to death evil and sin for all time. Though it still is trying to win today, isn't it? And if for anyone that flips on the news, and I'm not prone to do that on Sunday mornings, but I have a couple informants to be aware of what's happening in our world. And if you did this morning, you know there was another attack and over 200 people have lost their life in Sri Lanka, a terrorist attack against three churches and multiple hotels. Evil is still battling to win, though it has already been defeated. And now we are just waiting and longing and groaning for the fulfillment of all that has been done. But Jesus has triumphed while evil says... It is still alive and well. Jesus truly is the one who is alive and reigning over all things. So hear it again. Hear again where the world would proclaim division, where we would wonder if we are excluded and divided and strangers or could ever even belong, could ever measure up, could ever be counted worthy. Hear what Paul says, verse 18. For through Christ we all have access in one Spirit to the Father, it doesn't matter if you know the lingo, have the shirt, have the app, have the heritage, the history, the story, the tradition. It doesn't matter what you have done or haven't, who you are or aren't, what you think you know or know you do not know. All because of Jesus, every one of us has access to God the Father through Him. Everyone. That's the hope of the gospel. It's what must be continually proclaimed. You say, What's the ticket? How do I get that ticket? There's no ticket. The gates are broken down. There's a person standing there. Greater than Walt Disney himself or Mickey Mouse. He's standing there with arms open saying, Come, enjoy. Come, receive. And if we're going to press the analogy, there's no lines to any ride. You can walk right on. But as if that was all we were being invited into, some kind of eternal Disneyland, that falls so far short of what the gospel proclaims. That's just a place to ultimately visit and enjoy but we are called to relationship. We are called to belonging. We are called to be known as Jesus stands and receives each one and looks into your eyes and sees you and knows the soul that He has created and says, Welcome. I've been longing for you and drawing you your whole life. Come and receive Come and receive all that I have. The fullness of my inheritance to you. You are no longer strangers and aliens. The world will keep telling you you are. You don't fit. You don't measure up. You don't belong. But in me, and now through faith in me, you have access to God your Father. Come and experience the fullness of life. Sons and daughters. I think the power of this, these three pictures, we see citizenship, True belonging. We see at the next level, membership into His household. that sons and daughters, children of God, adopted in, a theme that Paul revolves around a lot in Ephesians. And we see even more. Verse 22, You're being built together to become a dwelling place for God by His Spirit, the very temple of God. Because of Jesus, you are seen worthy of, for God to dwell amongst you. And He is here dwelling amongst His people today. That's His promise. May we come to see Him and know Him. That's our prayer. But His promise is He is here because of Jesus. He dwells within us. This picture of citizenship. We belong. Now that's just the, the gates are broken down. The, the land is open. We, we, have, we have been invited in by name But now we are children, sons and daughters. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. In love God has adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in Christ. How has He blessed us? Go back to verse 3. He has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. And then more amazing, we're not just citizens. We're not just adopted sons and daughters. We're made into the very temple of God. In Him, you're being built together to become a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. But for those of you who have lived your whole life, or at least a majority of it, wondering where you belong, Not fitting many places at all, moving perhaps from here to there. Maybe it was a job or a company that moved you. But in reality, what you know is you were always looking for something that you did not have a place where you truly fit, where roots could be established, where you truly belong. For those that have been told or felt like they've been told their whole life, you don't measure up. You're not worthy. You're not enough for those that have even faced shame and slander, have been shunned, ignored, abused, marginalized, let me stand here on this Easter 2019 with the Apostle Paul and proclaim to you God's Word, God's truth, not the world's. You are loved. You are invited. And if you respond, you are adopted into His family. No questions asked. That's His grace. His amazing grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet running and dead in our own transgressions, because of His great love for us, God being rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ who lives. That's the hope of the gospel and the message that we proclaim, hopefully every day. But on Easter, there's just something a little more special to be reminded of. He sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life We were meant to live, but failed. Jesus faced everything and worse than we ever have. A sense of no belonging. There was no man who had ever lived that fit less in the world than any one of us could ever imagine. He was shunned. He was ignored. He was marginalized. He was mocked. He was slandered. He was minimalized. He was abused. He endured all, walking with purpose and faithfulness. Trusting himself to the Holy Spirit, modeling to everyone after him in his life what it looks like to live a life fully dependent on the power of God in and through them for all things. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. He was tempted to both abandon and reject God in that call. He was tempted with every worldly attraction and pleasure that we could imagine, yet he entrusted himself to God and the power of the Holy Spirit to be faithful to draw on that strength for life, to endure all things. He went ultimately to the cross in our place. He died the death we deserve to die. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus took that in our place upon the cross. They tried to marginalize Him, but the page kept moving with Him. And He rose again, giving us hope for A coming resurrection. The death is not the end. Where O death is your sting. Death actually becomes glorious for those who are in Christ because it is the final end to pain, to suffering, and to sin. And as Jesus was raised to life again, so will we be. That is his promise. Ephesians 1.7, in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The riches of His grace, a theme we're going to continue to proclaim for the weeks and months to come. I hope you would join us. Paul reminds his beloved friends, and we've put ourselves into the place of this church found all sorts of ways to relate as much as it might seem like we shouldn't relate to this church 2,000 years ago in a different part of the world, totally culturally, economically, spiritually different than us. And yet, even today, we see again a people who had a hard time finding a place, didn't know whether they fit, didn't know if they would make any difference ultimately in the world, wondering how boldly to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus King when it wasn't popular. In fact, it might have led to their own persecution. And we're being reminded. And Paul pours out his heart for these beloved. He prays for them. There's a couple prayers, chapter 1, then chapter 3. And I want you to hear this prayer because he's praying it ultimately. Empowered by the Spirit, he's praying it for you and for me, for all churches everywhere to receive. Here's his longing heart. He says, I do, not give, I do not cease to give thanks for you. This is verse 16, chapter 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places? Incredible prayer that would become our reality, that we would know the hope to which we've been called, that we would know the riches of His grace and His inheritance. And that we would know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. These are just some of the spiritual blessings when Paul says every spiritual blessing in Christ. The same power, and here's appropriate for Easter, the same power, God's power that was at work to raise Jesus from the grave to bring life again is at work in us. And Paul is saying, live like it. Know it. Experience it. It's my longing, it's my primary heart cry for you that you would know it. Not, Not for your glory, for God's. But that same power to renew life again, to restore, to heal, to triumph, to bring freedom, to conquer, is at work in you. That's how dearly loved you are. And how... Desperately pursued you are by this God, this incredible Father. So live like it, Paul says. You have not only, hear this, you have not only been invited in as citizens. You have not only been adopted in to belong as sons and daughters. You have not only been made into a temple, the dwelling of the living God. How could it be more? Ben, you said there were three pictures. We saw them. How could it be more? Because in chapter 2, verse 16... Or in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense. This has been done. He's reminding the church in Ephesus. He's reminding you. He's reminding me. This has been done because of Jesus. You are raised and seated in the heavenly realms. It's not our perspective. We know that. But this is God's perspective. This is your citizenship. This is your place at the table. This is your belonging. You are already seated. It's not just that maybe one day if we work hard enough and learn enough of the lingo and the behavior and obey enough and pay enough, we will have a seat in the heavenlies. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is it has been done in Jesus. No more striving. Simply receiving. Walking in repentance, ultimately turning from a life that has tried to earn God's favor and rejecting that notion that we ever can, to simply receive in its place His grace and mercy, that you are loved and that you are pursued Ephesians 2.18, hear it again. For through Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And then Paul will say it again in chapter 3, verse 12. In Jesus and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. Thank You, Jesus. We are seated in the heavenly realms. The world will keep Telling you, you don't belong. You don't have a seat. You're not enough. You're not invited. You won't measure up. It will keep on proclaiming it. Let it. The world is not our home. And the world and men do not define us. God, our Father, defines who you are. Receive it. Respond to it. Live like it. I invite you to respond to Jesus. So how we lay out our, our service every time we gather. We prepare our hearts, hopefully coming from any number of directions in our week and craziness, to have a moment where we can center as we either hear words proclaimed, truth proclaimed over us through song, or we join in that singing. We open God's Word to hear from Him, not hopefully just a man, but God's Word that would come to us in truth. And then we seek to respond to that. We can simply walk out this door and move into any number of things today and many of you are probably gathering at various tables and praise God if you are, worship Him, give thanks, enjoy family and friends. But this table is the most important one. What this table represents of what Christ has done because of who God is and it reminds us who we are. This deeply loved that His body would be broken on the cross but would not remain broken. That His blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. But life would come to Him again. And it is our hope that life would come to us. This table, as much as it says, do so in remembrance. Remember who God is and what Jesus has done. We also proclaim. We also look forward to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. The greater feast that is yet to come. It won't just be to celebrate Jesus. It will be with Jesus. Our hope is kindled and renewed we pray, the table is set, the most important table of the day. and even if you came in this morning with no gathering to go to, no table to come around, what I hope you will know now is you have a father who has drawn you to a more important table, a place to truly belong. before, before you ever behave as you come with the smallest amount of faith, perhaps. See, our, our salvation coming to Jesus does not depend on the measure or the depth of our faith, but on the object of our faith. And so we come. Come pray, maybe one of the most famous prayers, I think, in Scripture, most o- overlooked prayers. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. We all come. We're invited again to be amazed by His glory and grace. May we proclaim him. Let me pray for you as the team comes to lead us. Heavenly Father, we celebrate especially on Easter. We thank you. We want to celebrate every day and be the same, but we thank you for special carved out times, remembrances. You have ordered things this way seasons and days and calendars. You set your feast for your people. The, the first thing on the calendar would be to celebrate the Passover lamb. May that be first in our lives too. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has lived and died for us. We celebrate you today. Draw us near, we pray. I pray a blessing on all who are here joining with the Apostle Paul that Christ might dwell in your hearts that you might be rooted and grounded in love, that you would have strength to comprehend with all God's people the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in his church